0: I'm Client, alcoholic and addict and thanks for having me here today John, thanks for inviting me. Um, anyway I just realized that next Saturday it'll be eight years since I had a drink of alcohol but before you applaud um, it's actually five years April 1st 2016 since I've been fully sober because after drinking I sort of thought I could still do some drugs and then I discovered no I'm just as bad on drugs as I am on alcohol. So you know, I had the double lesson there, it took a while to get there, but it really sunk in because I really felt hopeless that in 2016, I just thought, you know, I can't fight this. Um, that happened to me with alcohol too. Um, it had just reached the point where my life had become unmanageable and I could not, and I was a hopeless alcoholic and I checked into a program. My partner checked me into a program um, a, a residential uh, sobriety program. And I was really lucky to be in there because one of the first things I did was attend a double speaker meeting. Last time i have been in a double speaker meeting was about eight years ago. Um, but that was really great too, you know, hearing some people with long-term sobriety and some people with newer sobriety because um, it all matters. Um, hearing the newer sobriety reminds me just how bad it was and how I really don't want to go back there. And hearing the long-term sobriety also reminds me that it's not always that easy. You know, we're going to hit these different bumps in the road. Um, we're going to get frustrated, we're going to make mistakes, um, but we're here to help each other. Um, so my story just goes back to um, my dad had a liquor store, and I worked there, and I always had free access to alcohol. Um, you know, I drank reasonably enough. I get drunk on weekends, stuff like that, but it wasn't until later in my years that my alcohol and drug use really got out of control. Um, but I did always have a real addictive personality, and I I remember taking some pills from my mom, mom's um, medicine cabinet and just loving what it did to me, um, alcohol loving what it did to me. Uh, marijuana, that was something I smoked daily uh, between age 16 up until my early 20s, and I just dropped it. And alcohol was really my main thing for a long time. It made me feel comfortable socially. Um, you know, I, I kind of introverted naturally, and it was just made it a lot easier to be out there with people and drink or two, and I could just be a different person and flying through the room and having a good time. And then I think alcohol is very for a while. And then eventually it didn't. Um, you know, I started introducing drugs to the mix in my 40s. Um, and that just made me think, oh, yeah, I can do this. I can do drinking. I just started. I was really lying to myself the whole time. Or my disease, I should say, was lying to me the whole time, making me think that I could manage my life while drinking, manage my life while doing drugs. Um, I never had any real severe consequences. Um, my partner for started to put up with a hell of a lot of shit. Um, but someone stuck with me um, and again was the one who got me into um, the uh, 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 John Muir Center for Recovery um, and that was really helpful because when I got in there on July 24th 2013 um, I had no answers you know I was drinking a quarter vodka a day um, I wasn't really enjoying the drink and I couldn't turn my mind off um, nothing was working, and so it was just time for me to try something different. And it was really helpful to get in there with some other drunks and addicts and just hear what wasn't working for all of them. And I was brainwashed in a really good way for 30 days. Um, and I really didn't know what to do except just to keep coming, listening. And I did take that good advice early on, which is listen to what... The first sober. has got something that I want and just follow their instructions. And I did that, and it really helped. Um the worst thing that I could do for myself is think that I had the answers. Um, I did realize at that time, I didn't have the answers with alcohol. With drugs, again, I thought I could finagle it, but it didn't work out. Um, and again, I finally got off of those when I realized I couldn't manage that either. Stop thinking that I could control it when I couldn't. Um, I got myself a sponsor pretty early on. That was all part of that program. Great guy with a lot of good sobriety. He taught me a lot. Um, it really helped a lot to be, to be in that. Um, then I started going to meetings regularly. Um, and began to realize the value of going to meetings and meeting different people, hearing the message again and again in all these different ways. Like um, I said, I did share in a meeting that I thought I could do drugs and a lot of people would be like, well, we'll say, it. and of course they were right. Um, but again, April 1st, 2016, that's when I decided that didn't work either and just stopped all of it. Um, I also I wasn't working at that time. But five months later, you know, I put my ass into getting a new job and found what is probably the best job of my life. So, you know, I was really lucky that way too. I do think the universe, you know, offers me has offered me some good things if I'm willing to put myself out there and just you know be genuinely who I am and what I can offer. Um, that's been really helpful. Um, I've been secretary of the bunch meetings. Just got through the two year period of the treasure of a meeting in um, El Cerrito. I live in El Cerrito called Millennium. We meet every Saturday, 6 p.m., that's my home meeting. Um, if you're around El Suido, do drop in, it's a great meeting. I've been so grateful to have us meeting in person again there. Um, that has made a huge difference to me because I was definitely burning out on Zoom meetings. This is my first Zoom meeting in quite a few weeks. Um, and again, I can just go in a meeting, I can listen to what people have to say, I can just soak that up um, and I can share what I'm feeling what I'm doing. I think that's one of the huge benefits of this program is that we can really share what's going on in our life and do it on a level that you really can't do anywhere else. Um, it makes a huge difference being honest with other people and then allowing me to be honest with myself. Because I think that's where I really suffered for many years was not being honest with myself and then always feeling that I was a bit of a fraud. Um, you know, By getting sober and being honest, I haven't had those feelings anymore. I don't have that feeling that I'm a fraud. And that's been a huge relief. I really think I'm getting to do on this planet what I'm meant to do. So um, yeah, keep coming to meetings, take advice, um, get a sponsor, work the steps. I worked the steps. That was super important. Um, you know, the steps sometimes feel like a big deal, but they really, you don't have to get it all right the first time, you can always go back and do it another time. Just go through it and do it. Um, and that's really helpful. I do hear from a lot of people when they, you know, hadn't worked the steps that you know, they might have stayed sobered. It didn't give them a chance maybe to heal some other parts in their lives. So, you know, take take the group's advice, give it a try, um, see how it works out. Um, and I think that's it. That's all I that had to share today. And just thank you for having me here today. I appreciate it.
1: Hi everybody. I'm Francis, and I'm an alcoholic, and I just got to have a meeting, big book study before those uh, before this and. Uh, that first sentence in the back of the book, to those now in its fold, Alcoholics Anonymous has made the difference between misery and sobriety and often the difference between life and death. And um, so um, my sobriety date is December 13, 1987. I went to my first meeting in uh, 1982, um, I actually went into something, it wasn't called a treatment program back then, it was at Langland Porter, and I was depressed, And uh, but it ended up being a partly uh, treatment and partly AA, they took, we went to AA meetings after that, but uh, right after I uh, checked out of my 28 days or whatever it was, 21 days program. I immediately um, went to a party down in Big Sur, and that's all she wrote. Um, So, uh, um, I'm the oldest of five, I'm the oldest grandchild of 31, so I had a lot of responsibilities growing up. I never felt I had a childhood. Um, and when I went to college when I was 18, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, it was my time to uh, be irresponsible. Uh, and uh, so I, I started out as an a, a honor roll student and ended up with a, barely making it out as a C student um, because um, the college, the opportunities for drinking were um, nonstop. And you know, went from Saturday nights to Friday and Saturday, and then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, et cetera. And a lot of that was around, you know, feeling comfortable in my own skin. Um, It was about uh, I was uh, growing up. I was uh, I was an overweight person until I got to college. Um, and I didn't think I was very attractive. My relatives didn't think I was very attractive. So I was ugly. And so when I drank, I was no longer ugly. And I knew how to talk to people who were from New York. And I went to school at the University of Florida. and There are a lot of people from New York uh, there. Uh, and so, um, very sophisticated. You know, they knew they knew the world, and I wanted what they had. And you know, what they offered me was the party, the party scene, and a lot of fun and a whole world that I had no experience growing up in North Carolina in the mountains. Um, so it was a, you know, like the speaker before me said, it was great. I had wonderful experiences I never would have done. I wouldn't have done where I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't had those experiences and uh, and for that you know that, that part of what regrets the past uh, definitely is a part of uh, part of my story. Um, drugs were not drugs didn't come into the program until later on. I used to never a weed is starting to show up on the scene, but that was not part of what I did. Uh, mine was just typically alcohol from you know, sophisticated uh, glasses of wine to Boom Farm and Mad Dog, uh, M- Mogan David 2020, you know, sitting around in a circle meditating and uh, learning a little bit about whatever the Beatles are doing in, in, uh, in, in, in India. So it was kind of that, uh, this hodgepodge, hodgepodge of um, activities. And the uh, University of Florida has a lot of people from, from international countries. So I met up with uh, uh, a bunch of international cricket players. And so they became a part of my drinking story back then too. And um, there's this wonderful place called Itch Tuckney Spring, Springs where you, uh, hook, you hook up your inner tubes at the top of the springs and you have your kegs of beer in between every two or three people and then you float down for 10 miles and all day and uh, the water's ice cold and you know by the time you get down to the end of the stream you know you're pretty looped and then you know whatever game is on is on. And uh, I actually still am in touch with one of those people though the friend from France is and I are still in contact, and uh, you know that that's one of my um, my uh, 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 one of the good things that have happened to me in sobriety. Was, um, so, at any rate, I got, I, when I got out of school, my my life had been it seemed like to uh, to simply uh, get out of uh, college and, and and leave home, and so I had my bags packed the day after graduation and went to D.C. and had a federal service job waiting for me and uh, but within about four months I uh, saw an ad in the paper it said uh, sell encyclopedias and go to Europe and so I did that I quit my job I left my apartment I sent a note to a a relative living nearby and said uh, I'm leaving and uh, if, if there's anything in the apartment you want help yourself and so I, uh, that was the level of responsibility that I had. But I didn't, um, I did not uh, make any money. It was a kind of a disastrous affair. Um, there were a number of, uh, the only good thing that came out of it is I saw Richie Pryor in Cleveland at Leo's Casino. Uh, that was one of the few good things that came out of it. Um, when the little company broke up, I got a job uh, at a restaurant and then the YWCA, and I ended up getting pregnant. And Ohio is very conservative. You couldn't get birth control, and uh, you couldn't, uh, there was no, there's no basically no help there for it. So I ended up going back to Baltimore, where I had more relatives, um, and, uh, and having a child and giving them up for adoption because. I was a pretty uh, one thing that's that I realized in sobriety is how immature uh, I was um, I had no idea of how to take care of things so I went back to Baltimore and got involved in uh, uh, theater underground theater and uh, marketing research and politics and uh, a lot of a lot of wine and um, a lot of wine I, uh, and uh, there were definitely marijuana was around, but that didn't, that really wasn't a part of my story. So that was, my son was born in 1969. Uh, it was uh, in the spirit of the times. Nobody ever talked about anything. Um, so it was just one of those things where you, whenever a feeling came up, you you drank to put it down. So that's what I did. And uh, in 7, 1971, I met a guy, he was sitting on a, on a, one of those uh, porches, Baltimore had all these row houses and uh, he was singing. and I decided that I was in love and that, uh, and he said he was coming to California as soon as he graduated uh, from, uh, at Durham and Duke, at Duke. And so uh, I left the job that I had there and joined him down in Durham and, you know, we came out to California, picked up a couple of hitchhikers on the way, and, um, and here we were in, down in Brawley, California. Uh, working at a, he was working at a farm workers' health clinic, and I was working for the, for the Chamber of Commerce, two fruit organizations that were a little bit in conflict. So um, the, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, sangria. And uh, that, was, that was kind of the wine, the, that was kind of the drinking that was going on then. And uh, I guess right before North Carolina hallucinogens had become good. Uh, pardon me if you, anybody's uh, opposed to it, but drugs are a big part of my story and, and I'm grateful to it because if I hadn't gotten into the level of drugs that I'd gotten into, I would I wouldn't be here today, and I wouldn't have the life I have. So anyway, hallucinogens in North Carolina carried out to California. Lots of uh, doing acid in the desert, and um, and that was fun too until it wasn't. Uh, my my the guy that I fell in love with, uh, and and uh, he said I made him marry me. That I, I don't really see how how that, how you can make somebody do it. But anyway, he was very, he was very promiscuous. And he really liked all the uh, open sex stuff that was going on then. So we got kind of involved in that. And that was not my scene. But I felt like I needed to be supportive. And so, uh, so that was part of this part of uh, 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 the beginning of the end of that story. Um, in the meantime, he had two children he left behind in Chicago, and they came out to to live with us. I mean, it was a more complicated story than that. Their mother had died, and they were living with grandmother. So, the two girls came out to live with us when they were seven and eight. And I thought, well, I've given up my son; I can uh, maybe help raise these two girls. Um, you know, no problem, right? Just instant motherhood. They're um, they're African American, so. Um, uh, the complexity of that didn't occur to me and it wasn't an issue until they became teenagers um, until they became teenagers and they started having all those, that teenage angst and uh, all the hormones that come with that. So, um, yeah, and that was at the time when uh, after the relationships went up, drugs became uh, a big part of the story. I've been introduced to speed and, um, I guess I'll ask it comes out at that time because, uh, you know, once you, once you have a bad trip, you don't, kind of don't want to ever go there. I didn't want to ever go there again. Um, but um, but speed and then cocaine kind of came in. I moved up to Mendocino right after we split up and the girls came up to live with me up there uh, to Point Arena or right outside of Point Arena uh, off of uh, uh, Manchester Manchester Road and we lived there for a year and that was a lot of fun too but it, it was uh, closing down the bars every night you know doing Tai Chi and the nude and at the top of the hill and farming and uh, you know lots of uh, lots of vegetarianism and hot tubs and uh, there was a drought that year in 1975 and so we were digging out the, the spring and everybody got uh, poison oak up to their yin yang and um, so but there was a lot of good stuff that was there and uh, it was definitely you know another experience like my meeting all those new yorkers when i was in college it was meeting people who were living an alternate lifestyle and you know i was wide open to learning as much as i can and uh, and being there and drugs and alcohol were part of the package. And I did a lot of stupid things. You know, there were a few guys that I had crushes on, and I was—I don't know if I—I I actually stalked them because I don't know if they ever knew I was following them around or going to outside of where they lived. Uh, you know, in the middle of the night. But I—I uh, I wasn't as bad as you know, falling off their roofs like a, another friend of mine was. But what I did was bad enough. Um, and and yet, one of those guys I ended up coming to San Francisco with. And, uh, and I, I was totally tongue-tied. I could not speak a word to him, even though I had this mad passion, crazy, crazy feelings for him. I don't know whatever happened to him, but, yeah, you know, I remember those feelings. You know, what happens in the hot tub, you know, you know can, uh, can alter your perception of life, at least for the moment. Uh, so, uh, the girls ended up, uh, one of the girls is a diabetic and she got very sick. And so we moved back to the city and, you know, it was a kind of, I got a job in advertising and, um, and, and that is an industry where there's a lot of drinking, there was a lot of drugs. And, um, so it kind of, uh, what am I doing here? uh there was, there was a lot of, um. I, when I was in Mendocino, that's when I felt like I changed, uh, the joke was I changed from a cucumber to a pickle, um, you know, because we, we drank every night, you know, we drank every night, we did drugs during the daytime, you know, we did some pretty holistic kinds of things, and there was a lot of uh, a lot of learning up there, but we really, really didn't... Um, uh, it did couldn't process because there's too much other stuff going on. But anyway, advertising uh, that job started in 1976, and uh, it it progressed. One of my stepdaughters left when she in 1979. She just decided that uh, my kind of parenting wasn't good for her. She was not quite 16. Uh, she went. She left, and she got pregnant uh and uh it, you know that's another story uh but the younger one stayed with me she had had a, a lot of uh i think she was called diagnosed as a borderline person and you know an immature person like me was not was totally unable to give her the kind of nourishment that she wants although i could do the i got her into therapy in groups and camps and things like that but there was that emotional component that Uh, I didn't know that I had growing up, and so she didn't get that either. And during that time, um, somehow, one of these, it was where everybody went to parties and uh, went to the parties. And uh, I met somebody who introduced me to freebasing, and then uh, freebasing uh, helped me uh, from the 80s to the 85 really kind of helped me get to my bottom. So, uh, and I read the book that said how addictive it was and I said, oh, not me, it's not gonna affect me. So, you know, it was alcohol and three days for a while and all the things that go with that, which means putting myself in dangerous situations, uh, meeting dangerous people, um, manipulating situations. Um, I never lost my job, but I don't think I was the best employee that I could have been. Um, the two-hour lunch thing it had stopped by that time. So it really was all the partying we did was at night. And um, so, uh, so there were a few times where I didn't uh, come in. And if you anybody questioned me about my drinking and using, you know, I would really shun them. I would never speak to them. I never allowed anybody to ask any questions about it um so eventually i actually moved in with somebody who lived in the east bay who only drank and didn't do drugs um but he was manipulative i i he was manipulative and pushy and whatever it was the clash and the relationship um had uh, had um me feel feeling like i didn't want to live that way anymore and after uh spending the night a few times in my car because I didn't want to deal with him uh, or spending the night on people's couches or, or floors. Uh, I just came to the point where I, I couldn't live that way anymore. You know, was still, he, had a, he had a few of the perks that I thought were important in life but nothing in the world was important enough for me to want to be around the person who could be around him. So uh, I had uh, in my treatment program that I had mentioned, which was in 1982, uh, I had learned about AA. And um, so I ended up calling the hotline and uh, and they sent me to a meeting on a Thursday night, a beginner's meeting at El Real Fellowship. They actually told me about the Al-Anon meeting where I thought my boyfriend is an alcoholic. So they said, Well, there's an Allen I'm meeting there too. And, uh, but I went into the big room where everybody was laughing and having a good time. And I just settled right in and just decided, Wow, there's another way of living. These are people who are not drinking or using. Uh, and uh, even though I didn't believe some of them, but uh, eventually I, I thought there were enough people who were clean and sober that I, um, I felt like it was worth a chance and I didn't, I didn't really think of it as being a permanent, a permanent way to live. I thought uh, that I'd get clean and sober, you know, i get a new boyfriend, um, I would uh, clean up my act at work. And, and uh and, you know, then I would slowly uh bring dr- drinking back in my life. And I got a, a counselor who was a drug and alcohol counselor. And she said, uh, I was going to a wedding back in Florida. And she said, you know, how are you going to handle it if there's drinking? And I said, well, you know, maybe I'll have a glass of champagne. And she said, well, if you have a glass of champagne, you can't come back to see me again. Because this is a program of abstinence. And that was the first time I... I realized that there was a program of captions. It was a program of not drinking one day at a time. And I struggled with that concept. I struggled with that concept a lot. Um, You know, how uh, how do I do this 24 hours? And then, you know, eventually said, well, how about doing it one hour at a time? And I used that idea of one hour at a time. A lot, especially whenever I would go back to the East Coast to visit family, uh, because they um, they weren't alcoholics and or drug addicts, but they drank, and it was around, and it was a whole family dynamic that I always found um, very un- uncomfortable. Um, so, um, but I would come back to meetings, and I, uh, you know, there's a place in uh, in the step book, I think where it talks about a true relatedness. And when I would come back from these trips back east, and I would come to a meeting, and I I felt at home. I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable in my skin. Uh, so uh, so, but I did I go to a Christmas party, and I thought, well, I could have a sip of wine in 1987, and um, I went to this party, and it was you know up one of those places in North Beach that was. You know, the glass didn't get empty and so I just had a sip and I had more sips and, you know, by the end of the evening I was pretty wasted and pretty sick and um, I had a sponsor at the time but I did not want to call her because I was too embarrassed. And so I called somebody else and had given me a phone number. You know, everybody gives you their phone numbers. And I kept some of them. And um, not that i would ever called any of them before, but I called this one person. And uh, she it was about 2 in the morning. And I don't know why I felt comfortable calling her, but she was there for me and talked to me for a couple of hours and talked me into getting back to a meeting and then calling the woman who was my sponsor and and telling her about it. And uh, so then, uh, so that's my new sobriety date is December 13th, 1987. Um, my most of the work I've done has been in El Cerrito Fellowship. Uh, I have other meetings that I go to. I work downtown Oakland after a while I left advertising and moved over to uh, the corporate side as they say. And uh, so I worked at downtown Oakland and uh, there were a few meetings down there that I went to at noon. And and then there's some neighborhood meetings that I've gone to uh, on a regular basis since then as well. Um, So I did start to be a secretary six months and uh, that was, I thought that was a wonderful thing to do. I felt so much confidence being secretary, being of that kind of service. I did try coffee making, but I could never quite get the big coffee pot thing together. Uh, I wash dishes, uh, but being a secretary was a great thing to do uh, because, uh, you know, you're in charge of a bunch of people. Uh, I did have a service sponsor and she told me that I was supposed to tell people that they had talked too long. And I really got upset with that because how can you tell somebody, I'm only six months sober, how can I tell somebody that's been around for years that they're talking too long, that this is a big meeting, right, and everybody needs a chance to share. And that was her thing. And uh, she came up to me and she said that when I was being secretary. So, but I got over it. We're still, we're not friends. <laughs> I, uh, I, I still smart from her telling me that. Uh, she also told me about jaywalking, is that I was not supposed to jaywalk, and uh, it took me years to find that in the book about jaywalking. Uh, she, was, uh, she said, you know, I never followed a rule in my life, and, uh, this, and this book is full of uh, reasonable uh, rules and guidelines, like don't jaywalk, and, uh, and that was also had a hard time for me because it took me a long time to understand about all the suggestions that are in the program. Uh, Step two says um, uh, uh, to believe there's a power greater than yourself. And I I'd always been around church people. You know, my grandfather was a minister. I had people who were deacons in the church. And I always participated. Um, But it never, nothing took. Nothing really took. And so um, it took me a while to work on that part about higher power and, you know, the, the, the program talked about God a lot and um, God is such a tainted word for me. So, but higher power I could work on, I could work, I could use the, um, the group of drunks, um, good orderly direction. I even liked the doorknob because the doorknob meant that you could open the door to a whole new world of possibilities. So I was able to experience that part of the program that meant that I didn't have to know how to do everything, um, and that there was a higher power, that I'm exactly my, my, the when it was my sponsor was telling me, you're exactly in the right place, you know, you know, because uh, I would feel like I was screwing up all the time. And she says, no, you're right where you need to be. And I came to understand that that's part of step two. And then when I came to step three, about turning my will and my life over to God, you know, I had those usual trepidations that, um, uh, did that mean I'm supposed to be a missionary? Does that mean I'm supposed to give up all my worldly possessions? I really did. It just occurred to me, how do do I turn my will and my life over to God? And At any rate, I worked through that, (laughs) and uh, it's taken me a a while. I'm a slow learner, but it took me a while to um, to understand that part about um, as I understand God. And as I understand it orderly direction, as I understand the group of drunks, you know, as I see um, people getting uh, sober in this program and having, you know, a better life, that, that became my step three. Um, step four was uh, an interesting process. The first woman who took me to an AA meeting, she actually said, you need to do a step four and put all your, um, you know, the error of your ways down on paper. And uh, and so we didn't do any other preparatory work and I just kind of spewed everything out and didn't do any of the rest of the steps about, you know, what's my part and uh, and uh, who what does it affect. It was just basically putting all those secrets out on the table to somebody that even though she was a perfect person. Um, she didn't judge me when I said all those things and it was, it was felt so good. Uh, i had never talked about the son giving up for adoption and it was just good to put all those secrets out on the table, you know, all those, uh, bad relationships and, um, you know, all the things that I had done that I was very ashamed of and, um, and all the things that I hadn't done because I was afraid I would fail at so that was the first time I started to put them down, but eventually I did do a regular four-step where I did uh, uh, learn what it affected. It took me a long time to understand what my part was. Uh, in fact, with the guy I married, came out to California with, um, his the oldest daughter um, got very sick, she made some interesting choices not drugs and alcohol but they got her into a lot of trouble and she ended up getting very sick and so I needed to spend time with him and her and uh, so I did a, a I did a, another fourth and fifth step uh, to talk about um, that whole situation and only then was able to see what
0: Los mismos republicanos que se negaron a aceptar el resultado de las elecciones presidenciales y que aplaudieron las crueles políticas fronterizas de Trump. Han apoyado el seguir a los inmigrantes con microchips y compararon a los indocumentados con animales. Ahora quieren tomar el control de nuestro
1: estado. Teniendo- Francis, it sounds like there's something on your end that's making noise. Um. So if, if you can, I'll uh, um, unmute, you can unmute yourself after you turn that off. Did you it, find it? It's not me. Oh, it stopped when I muted you. Okay, good. Go on. All <laughs> oh, right. All right. Anyway understand what my part was in the relationship with my ex-husband and why I had been angry with him for 20 years 30 years after we divorced uh, so that was a very interesting process and you know I wish I had uh, I had begun to understand what my part of things was earlier uh, but it takes what it takes and I once I Figured that out, uh, you know. It it, uh, it was just like another layer of, uh, in, somewhere in the literature it talks about peeling the onion. And, um, the process of it's uh, not a process of self improvement. It's a process of self discovery, and um, so that was another big part of that discovery about what my part was, and that I wasn't a victim. And uh, despite stuff that had happened early when I in my childhood. Uh, it didn't mean that I was damaged goods and, you know, all those kind of things started to come out in the process of the, of the fourth and the fifth step. Um, I've done more of them, you know, I did that early one early in sobriety. I uh, had done one maybe when I was 10 years in, and then I didn't do another one until till my 30th year. And each time, you know, I've begun to, to see more, uh about who I am and you know what my part is in the world and um about uh you know I don't know that I've had any great spiritual awakenings. I uh was in, I'm in this little small group and we were supposed to draw our spiritual awakenings and uh and that was an interesting process because I was beginning to feel pretty inferior, like I didn't have any great uh great experiences. But uh I was able to to, uh, to go through my life, you know, we did little drawings and go through my life, and uh, I realized that a lot of my spiritual experiences were around other people, uh, how they were in my life, and that there was something about that relationship, that uh, that relationship of that time, like my grandfather uh, was one of those people early in life, um, walking across, walking through the farm in North Carolina, and all that stuff so um anyway it's a great it's a great step and i'm glad that i've had the opportunity to uh, be around people who support that and uh support doing it again um uh the six and seventh step, you know, I'm always feel like I'm in the six and seventh step about um try to be ready. You know, I have many defects of character. I eat too much, I spend too much money, uh, I don't call people like I'm supposed to. I um I'm a messy housekeeper. Uh, I'm nice to my dog. No, that's one good thing. I'm not don't have to that's not a defect of character. Um I was a boyfriend early, and sobriety gave me a dog, and now I'm in my second dog, and you can't imagine how I ever lived without a dog. So John doesn't like my dog because he says she smells, but I think he has a very sensitive nose. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, the six and seven step about removing my shortcomings. Um, and making a list of people I'd harmed as part of the eighth step, I put the son child I did up for adoption, as well as my two stepdaughters, they were on my list. and I registered as a birth mother in, in the eighth step, and then uh, was able to um, through an interesting series of connections. Uh, he called me and said he wanted to meet me. and so I was invited to his college graduation and then we so that was 30 years ago and for 29 years ago something like that and we still have a relationship it's not totally uh, as close as you know i hear other people talking about their kids but it's you know we're in touch and he's going to go he lives back in baltimore and he is going to go see my sister who's in the hospital now 15 days later after her little accident and so, uh, you know, it's nice to have that connection. Um, the one stepdaughter passed away, and we were able to spend time together and make amends to her. And uh, her sister is uh, is uh, still here. She just had a birthday. She turned 50, 56, and uh, she has two children, one who's autistic and the kid who is very emotionally disturbed. And yet she's able to raise these two children, uh, one of which is a daughter who's autistic. And so she's impressed me. She wasn't supposed to live till she was 40 and now she's, you know, in mid 50s. So very impressive and very high power to her. Um, there, I have a 10 step inventory list where I try to write down, you know, how, how my day has gone and what I'm grateful for. Gratitude is a big part of my program. I'm grateful for, uh, you know, grateful for this program. I'm grateful for um, being able to live in California. (laughs) I really am. Uh, You know, I had to come to California to get out of the, the. the, the rules and regulations that didn't make sense to me that were a part of growing up in the South, um, but I and I live in California and it, God knows it's not perfect, uh, but it's a uh, it's an amazing place and get to meet amazing people in California as well as mostly in the program which is where I spend most of my time. Uh, so as a tennis step, I do have a regular prayer meditation program and. Um, you know, try to open myself up to a higher knowledge. Right now, I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of prayer meditation around business meetings and uh, I'm involved in business meetings and yet um, uh, it's become very political. You know, opening up has been very challenging, I think, for a lot of people. And, um, you know, anyway, I'm trying to stay in the middle. I'm trying to stay in the middle and trying to be of service and not... um, I don't feel like I'm taking sides, but I've been accused of betraying people, you know, on both sides of the situation. And uh, so I, you know, I have to pray and meditate about it because I try to find out the right thing to do and how can I be of service and not withdraw, which is what I'd like to do. You know, COVID was good for me because I'm a natural introvert and, you know, i was very happy being introverted. And yet I know it's not the best thing for me. I need to be around people. I need to have that, you know, I need to exchange oxygen and, and uh, ozone and whatever else is out there because I don't feel whole uh, without uh, the connections that I have with other people. Uh, so, uh, and 12, my, I guess is what I see as my, uh, my role in service. I love being a secretary. I did get involved in a business meeting, I think, when I was about five years sober, and I was assistant business manager, and the business manager had a stroke one morning, and uh, so I got pushed into the other meeting, and the fellowship lost its lease, and we had to move, so there were some early challenges early on. Fortunately, there's always been a lot of good people around to support, you know, that uh, you know, I don't ever have to do it alone. That's a lesson that I've learned over and over again. Um, in Zoom, I got involved in, you know, Zoom pretty early on. And uh, so I'm a secretary on Zoom. I'm a, I'm a tech on Zoom. I, um, I'm part of a search committee to find a new building. I uh, am secretary of a couple in-person meetings. I participate in the Alano Club. I was doing H uh, and I in jail, uh, the county detention center. So um, you know, I think reaching out and planting seeds to other people is always uh, uh, makes me feel like you know the offer the to offer the people I just wanted to say James and Ashley and let There's a lot of good stuff here. Um, the book, you know, I, I really like book studies, step studies, and book studies, and uh, as Bill sees it, studies, and uh, daily reflection, where you read it and then you reflect off of it and talk about it. Uh, but I really recommend those as a great way to, um, to get involved in the program and to get some um, food to kind of get you through the day because it's tough. Uh, a lot of times getting to the day, there's a lot of distractions out there. So, uh, I don't know if I told any of the fun stories, but, um, there were a bunch of fun stories out there. And, um, and like I said, I don't regret the past. I mean, I don't regret the past in that there were a lot of good experiences that alcohol and drugs took me into, um. Uh, there are a lot of my behavior that I regret, and I wish I'd done things differently, um, but again, I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for that journey, and I am trying to be on a journey every day to um, to be of uh, the best service that I can be uh, to whoever asks for it. So, that's all I got. <laughs>